Hi, thanks so much for joining us today for GALS. We are thrilled to have Peggy Johnson here with us. Thanks so much for joining us, Peggy. Absolutely, looking forward to it. So um, Peggy, I had the honor of getting to work in um, Peggy's division previously and just absolutely fell in love with her leadership style. So I'm so thrilled to get to be here to talk with you today. Peggy is actually our Executive Vice President of Business Development. So. Would you mind telling everybody a little bit about what that role is? Sure, it's um, basically in one word, it's about growth for the company in all different aspects. So if you think about growth, there's really two types of growth, organic growth, what we do internally to move the products forward, mm -hmm. and then inorganic growth, which is kind of a step change that we can do to mm -hmm. kind of bend the growth curve, if you will, and accelerate it. And inorganic growth is what we're largely focused on in BizDev. And that is usually done through three different levers that we can pull. I like to think of them as levers, because they sort of, are, that's the thing that it makes the acceleration yeah. go. And those are partnerships, investments, and acquisitions. And so we're involved in aspects of all of those, and any single one can give you that step change that will sort of change the growth curve. and. Um, just, you know, whether it's bring more monthly active users mm -hmm. to a product, bring a whole new uh, uh, addressable market in another area, maybe open a global market that was untapped before, um, any of those things, that's how we would, uh, you know, try to achieve more growth. Yeah. And that role, actually, you're, you sit on Satya's leadership team as well. With I that, do. Right? I do, the SLT. Yeah. And was business development at that level before, or is that kind of a newer shift? Yeah, that's interesting. So it wasn't before. It was generally embedded in the divisions before, in the product teams. So it was really siloed previously. A little bit, yeah. Okay. And and there, there was reasons for that, but what we were doing was missing anything that crossed the groups. Mm. And so just before I arrived in 2014, uh, toward the end of 2014, Satya had made the decision to pull BizDev out from the teams and bring it to the corporate level. And that then allowed the teams, the BizDev folks, to look across the company when they were doing a deal and maybe tap into some other areas to do a more complex but maybe more holistic deal for the company. And we're also trying to achieve what Satya likes to call the global maxima. What, what is the most value that we can get out of a particular partnership or investment um, if we look broadly across the company versus maybe just one group, you know, Xbox or Windows or Office. Yeah. And that's had a quite a change in how we how we have relate related to the industry, how the industry looks back at us. Um, I think they, they look at, back at us now as Microsoft versus maybe one or more of the, of the separate that makes That makes so much sense. Where yeah. I, I, I did even see that previously in my history here within the company where, you know, it wouldn't align to particular team's vision, but it was so the right thing for Microsoft to do. And so now seeing the shift that you've been able to lead where, you know, you see that investment and that focus, even if it's not that short-term strategy for someone. Exactly. And I think it's opened up new opportunities for us that we maybe missed before or we didn't really have the ability to get across the line yeah. because the groups were deeply embedded in, you know, underneath the product teams. And so it's had, um, it's it's brought us some surprising new partnerships, uh, some great new um, 
companies that we've acquired along the way, but also our Microsoft Ventures group, which we didn't have previously. So let's talk about Ventures, because that was something that you really helped to establish and create. Can you explain what Microsoft Ventures is? Yeah, so it's our early stage venture fund that we can use to, I like to say, get a peek under the tent of uh, <laughs> different companies. It allows us to take a look at early stage technologies that are just evolving that may someday be uh, added value to our existing products or maybe a new business line for us. And even though we had the ability to invest, and we did invest usually at later stage alongside commercial deals generally, we weren't um, super nimble with these early stage companies. Mm -hmm. And with them, you have to be nimble. That's the way you get into these early stage rounds. And so the model that I liked was what we had in place at Qualcomm with Qualcomm Ventures. So I thought perhaps the best way to implement that would be to um, talk to the guy who was running Qualcomm Ventures, Nagraj Kashyap, and at the time he was looking to make a career change. And he came up and we talked about setting up Microsoft Ventures. And I think it, it's sort of his disciplined approach to these investments, the fact that his group tracks the investment so we don't rely on somebody in one of the product teams who may initially have had the idea, mm -hmm. but you know how that goes, you get moved around yeah, and you yeah. know, you're off into a new area of the company and you don't always have the cycles to continue to attract that vest investment. Nagraj will do that. And that bigger picture long-term too. Exactly, that, yeah. exactly, and that's yeah. been super helpful. And the other thing that Nagraj has done is he's taken out a lot of the friction of the investing. Of course, we sat down with Amy and went through a process that we wanted to follow and with her input and guidance, we've implemented that process, but we can turn on a dime if we need to. Right. And a lot of times you have to with these very fast moving startups to invest. So how was that, you know, being new into the company, creating and, and having this idea to go off and do this whole new thing? Like, what was that like leading that, um, that charge and that change within, within Satya's yeah. new leadership team? So that was an interesting learning experience for me because I knew how to do something like that at my previous company, clearly yeah. I'd been there 25 years, you know, you kind of know the ropes by yeah. then, you know, how, you know, things get across the line. I didn't quite know how that happened here. So I teed it up probably within the first few weeks of being here. And there was a lot of, no, I don't think so. <laughs> because <laughs> we've done things like that before, haven't been mm. super pleased with some of the outcomes. And, you know, it's, it's probably not worth the effort. And, yeah. and I kept agitating and saying, but I think we're missing a, a very valuable piece of input. You know, it can inform our product teams. We, you know, they may turn into acquisitions over time. It just gives us a view into the industry that I don't think we have right now. Now, we were engaged with startups and with the VC community, but largely through our products. Of course, we wanted them to use our products as they're developing their products and technologies. But we didn't have that deeper engagement that you get with an investment where were you really part of the mm -hmm. team. And so and helping um, to shift that exactly visit, yeah towards yeah yeah to something viable. Yeah. Um, so I made a few few tries at it, and I remember having a discussion with Brad Smith one day, and I said, I deeply believe that we should have a Microsoft Ventures team, but I don't quite know how to get it across the line here. And he said, You know what? At Microsoft, we write white papers. White papers are can be super informative, mm -hmm. and it sort of allows you even to put all your thoughts down and and move them around and get them in a in a cohesive structure mm -hmm. 
more than a conversation can do. And then pitch it and send it around to a few folks. Um, he offered to send it around to some of our board members. And at the end of a process, with many people uh, helping to, to get the paper together, we did eventually get approval and we uh, put the structure in place. It's largely the same structure that we had when I was at Qualcomm mm -hmm. that we've mimicked with Microsoft Ventures. Very cool. One of the things I, I love about that story you just told is when I look at you as a leader too, I see you lead with such collaboration. Like it just emanates from your style, um, how you drive your team, and but I think also really how you've engaged business development as a strategy for Microsoft. So where did where did that kind of come from within you and, and why did you kind of adapt that and how have you seen that kind of serve you and the company? Yeah, so I am a huge fan of teams yeah. and I feel like teams can get more done, it, particularly if you have everybody pulling for the same thing. In fact, just to go back to a line that I learned early here, uh, I think it was my first week here and Satya asked the SLT to read the book, Boys in the Boat. Oh, I and he read said, that one. yeah, oh, it's fabulous about the UW uh, crew team in the early 30s and this sort of, you know, amazing trek that they had, you know, starting from really what was just sort of a pulled together team and what they were able to do as a team. Very cool. And there's a line in there to that talks about the swing of the boat. It's when you get everybody pulling in the same direction what you can accomplish. And certainly individuals have had great contributions to the company, but there's something about when you get a team all on the same page, all pulling together, that you can have sort of a nonlinear um, uh, value add yeah. back to the company. So I believe deeply in teams, and to be part of a team, you have to collaborate, and you have to compromise, and you have to look across the table and understand why someone might be debating a point in the way they are, and how it differs from yours, and then the job at hand is, you know, how to find some consensus. And um, I just feel so deeply that you can get much more done with collaboration and teamwork than, you know, to have people duking it out and then one winning. Yeah. That's a zero-sum yeah. game, and I yeah. feel like, you know, then you have two people spending a lot of cycles and only one comes to fruition. Where in a team, you have a lot of people spending a lot of cycles and then you get the nonlinear output. That's so fascinating, and I think it's it's so interesting to see. I think as Satya has come in with the le with the leadership team, I think as well, and just to see the shift in momentum in the company change, you can see that shift and that value that's kind of being driven there. Are there are there key things that you push your leadership team and that you're trying to drive through your team that you think like create that collaboration dynamic, right? Yeah. So. You know, sort of going back to the time when um, I had one of my first conversations with Satya, we talked about partnership and what partnering means. Mm. And I've kind of embraced, just sort of loosely embraced some principles around that, that I shared with my team when I first got here. And I said, you know, this is the way we're going to partner going forward. And to me, it aligned with what I also heard from Satya on one of my first discussions with him about he wanted to really change the way that we were partnering. That um, it had kind of been a zero-sum game mm -hmm. in the past. Somebody wins, somebody loses. And for me, a partnership is all about having 
each side have value. Otherwise, it becomes unstable, and then you don't have a partnership. Mm -hmm. Someone just wins, yeah. and someone loses. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really a partnership. So, um, which works short term, but as a yeah. as a long term <laughs> tech company, right? That's just it, it's not it's not viable. Exactly, yeah. it's, yeah, it's not a very viable. Short term win strategy. And if you need it short term, I get that. That's that can be a strategy at times, but longer term, you want to build this trusted relationship mm -hmm. that you can call on. I always say in good times and in bad, yeah. because it's in those times of adversity when maybe you need that partnership even more and you want to know that there's trust there and if you've got to land a difficult message if you've got a base of trust it's mm -hmm. so much easier mm -hmm. and you can keep growing from there it doesn't mean you've just erased everything yeah. you know you've got something to grow on so for me I like first and foremost for there to be a level of respect when you're dealing with any partner and that came out early on when I was asked to uh, work with Samsung and try and find a solution there. Um, Satya talks about this in the book, but some of the backstory was when I first came, I said, okay, you know, my first job here is to try and uh, find a resolution because both sides, Samsung and Microsoft, had, had been in sort of a battle and, and it was to try and find a resolution. So when I started in, there was a lot of sense that they're difficult to work with, we'll never be able to find a solution, we should just, you know, move on there there was a lot of that and i said well tell me about that and, and the stories were well you know eight years ago this and this happened i'm like eight years ago that was that's a lifetime ago a different <laughs> so group of people different, probably different even time and place yeah. Yeah. yeah let's just start over let's see if we can just start over and so it, it's so it's about having respect for your opponent and not thinking of them you know as adversarial and they're never going to change it's about Wait a second, put yourself in Samsung's shoes. It's a pretty amazing company. I mean, look at the troubles they've been through recently and they're flying high. And it, you know, so they're doing something right. And you have to put yourself in their shoes and say, why are they uh, in, a, in a dispute with us? Mm -hmm. what, what are the reasons? What are the core reasons? And if you can understand those mm -hmm. and have respect for why they have that opinion, then you have a platform to try and solve for it. You're, you start speaking that same language. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that, that's first and foremost the thing you have to do. Mm -hmm. um, I think you have to listen. We have to be very good listeners. I, if, I, there, if I had a superpower, which I don't know that I have any superpowers, <laughs> but if I had one, it would be listening, uh, which I learned from being part of a big family. But listening is the other thing. You really have to s hear them out, understand what they're trying to solve for, not just say, I've got this fantastic thing. It'll help you. It's like, what do you need? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then let me see if I can find a way to help you. So listening is another uh, very, very Which important Which again aspect. is so interesting because it's such um, the opposite of what you see commonly demonstrated within the tech space as kind of yeah. a key leadership value, right? Yeah. So again, I think it's so fascinating to see you come in and lead so differently and yield such high results for the company. Well, it goes to Satya's you know, focus on growth mindset, going from being a know-it-all mm -hmm. uh, company to a learn-it-all company. Because if you're a know-it-all company, you do the, f the former thing where yeah. you're going to say, this is what you need, and yeah. I know why you need it, and here's what you're going to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> and if you take a step back and say, you know, what problems do you have? And, and let me see if I can help solve it. So you're learning about them. You're spending time putting in energies and cycles on that process first, and then coming up with a solution. 
And you know, you might not have a solution. There might be some things that are just too difficult or uh, for whatever reason you're not able to Goals resolve. Goals don't align at the time. Goals yeah. don't align. And then that's when transparency comes in. You just say, you know what, it's not gonna, I don't think we, we can find a common ground here, but let's part yeah. ways uh, in, on good terms. And you know, maybe at another time, there's a shift in the industry, a shift in timing, something that uh, is a catalyst to bring us back together again. And the door's always open. Right, yeah. right, Very super cool. important. So when you think back to you know, your early days, your childhood even, what were, what were some of your first introductions to technology and what were you really passionate about as a kid? Like, did you think you'd end up you know, working at a large tech company and, and, and doing this type of work? Were you running the lemonade stands? Or I was, <laughs> I was running lemonade stands. Um, I guess my very first job that I thought I would be was a nun. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? Because I went to Catholic school. Okay. And I like the outfits they wore. <laughs> I like the whole hoodie thing that they wore. I know that's not the right word, but that was fascinating. Oh, to yeah. Me and, you know, the power that yeah. they had. Interesting. <laughs> but, um, that was first grade, and then when I met Johnny Lucetta in the second grade, that all went out the window, and I was like, okay, I can't, I'm not gonna be a nun. But um, I, I do think, I, sort of some uh, adversity that I went through when I was younger that sort of led me to be a reader, and then being a, just a, a you know, I read all the time. I would mm -hmm. read under the covers at night with a flashlight. I was yeah. one of those kids. Um, but, it, but I did that because I was pretty sick when I was a kid for several years, yeah. I, it wasn't, it wasn't life-threatening, but I had um, really severe anemia. Oh, wow. And w which is sort of a lack of iron, mm -hmm. and that caused me to be, just not have a lot of energy. And so a lot of times I would get sick with colds easily, like I had sort of a low uh, immune system. Yeah. And so I was home a lot, and when I was home, I would read. And I would just read, 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 and that was sort of the start of my interest in math and science and things like that. I remember I was a weird kid. I remember asking my mom, um, you know, she would say, do you want me to bring you a magazine from, from the store when I was at home? And I'd say, no, can you bring me one of those math books, like the math <laughs> workbooks? <laughs> I'd rather do that. And, um, but, you know, just having that time, so much time out of school, yeah. I just read all the time. And, and more isolated. Too. And more isolated, yeah. 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 And so um, that then just sort of led me to an interest and a love for math and science and, and things along those lines. Very cool. And did you intend to go into math and science in college or what was your kind of plan there? No, um, in high school, I had a great high school in Los Angeles that um, had a super good uh, set of parents that really pushed on the curricula. Mm, so we amazing. had you could take several years of upper level math, oh, wow. um, sciences, several years of chemistry, physics. It was above and beyond the California curricula, put it that way. And it was this set of parents who were, it was just public school, but they yeah. did a great job of influencing the curriculum. PTA moms, man, can change they the were world. Good. <laughs> <laughs> they were good. So I took full advantage of all that. I remember actually going into high school, we had the choice. The older kids didn't have a choice. They had to go to Catholic high school. But by the time the younger kids, I had 15, 14 brothers and sisters. Oh my gosh, yeah, big 14, family. wow. Yeah. And when we got to the younger five, we had the choice of going to Catholic <laughs> school or public school. And one of my older sisters weighed in on my mom and said, don't send 
pegged to the Catholic school because they, she liked, she knew I liked math and sciences. And she said, You've, you should send her to the public school because they've got a stronger curriculum. She also was, she ended up being a math major at UCLA. Really? So she stood yeah. up for Yeah, and you, so, so she awesome influenced that, that decision. Sister. And I ended up going to the public school where I got all these great courses. Okay, so I have to pause there for a second. 14 brothers and yeah. sisters. <laughs> what is that like? <laughs> Crazy, a little bit. Um, so it was two families, okay. and uh, I was part of a big family, eight kids, and my father passed away when I was young, oh, and I was the second sorry. youngest, and I was not quite three, but I had a sister who was nine months old, I mean, super young. Oh, wow. So my mom has eight kids now from nine months and old is on her own. to 17, wow. yeah, and she's on her own. So my older brother, who was 17, really stepped in and became our dad uh, for several years. Wow. And, you know, amazing job yeah. at 17. The kid grew up super fast. Um, but then uh, about three or four years later, maybe, yeah, close to four years later, someone in our big Catholic church decides to set my mom up with a man in the church whose wife had died oh, from wow. cancer and had seven kids and they, the, it was interesting, the age ranges were, you know, about the same. We all went to the same Catholic school. In fact, my stepsister now was my classmate. And oh, then, wow. you know, from yeah. one day to the next, she became my Your sister. sister. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, though. And we all, um, they, my parents dated for a couple years. They ended up getting married. We all moved into a house oh, wow. in Los Angeles. Yeah, and uh, it was a little crazy, but my mom was adamant that we wouldn't be that crazy house full of kids. So she's everybody. <laughs> I don't know how you cannot be the crazy yeah, house full of kids with, was, with 15. She had a regime, you know, wow. and we had different duties and you, you know, you couldn't miss those duties. And so the, she, she ran it like a army. Do you think part of that even <laughs> collaboration way. piece came from back then with having Absolutely. to move? I mean, to move in Absolutely. and live with so many. Yeah, you had to yeah. respect other people's yeah. private, privacy, and you had so many people in one house, and you had to learn to live with all of these personalities. Yeah. We had from one end of the spectrum to the other under that roof, and so we had to be able to get along in, um, you know, without, you know, moving out we had to get along do you still do you still come together for holidays yeah, we do. and things like in that in fact oh, um in a week and a half i'm going to have our family christmas party uh, down in san diego okay. and so the whole family which still largely lives between la and san diego okay. uh, will get together at my house and uh, it's about like just the immediate family and their partners and their kids and th some of their kids have kids is about it's about almost 150 people. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's amazing though. It's I love crazy. that. I love that big thing. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And Santa oh, comes, cool. and there's, yeah, the whole, the whole thing. So jump, <laughs> jumping back to high school, where your yes. your older sister helped, you know, push that you got yeah. to make that choice. So you ended up going to high school, taking the science and the math, and then you headed into college. What did you intend to study in college? Um, business, like all my older brothers and sisters. Okay. Many of them um, went off and pursued a business degree. So I went to my advisor in high school and she said, well, what do you want to be? And I said, well, I think I want to go into business. And she's like, check, next, you know, <laughs> 4,000 kids at my high school. So it was like, she was glad I knew what I wanted to be and I wasn't going to give her any trouble. She's like, this is Just the easy one. Done. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sounds good. You can make money Off at it. Go. It's yeah. not, it's not English. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So, so but I know you, I, knowing you, I know that you graduated with a degree in engineering. Yes. So w where did that shift come How from? How did that happen? So, um, so my parents had two roles. You had to go to college and you had to pay for it yourself. Okay. Actually, neither of my parents went to college, yeah. but they knew the importance of a college education and, and they knew they couldn't pay for 15 kids to go to college. So they're like, okay, 
get out there and work and go to college. So that largely left public colleges, which back then in California were fairly cheap on a per unit basis. So you, it was achievable. You could actually put yourself through college. It's a bit harder to do these mm -hmm. days now, but then you could. And so I chose San Diego State, which was just a little bit further from home, but still close enough I could drive home on the weekends if I needed to. Do the so laundry. Like that, <laughs> do the laundry, that sort of stuff. So um, off I went and got a job and, you know, was most of the way through my freshman year uh, pursuing a business degree when um, I, my job had me deliver a package over to the engineering department. And apparently, just before I walked in, the two admin assistants were talking about, gosh, you know, there's never any women down this hallway, and or how would we get more women here? What could we do to attract more women? And they heard me coming down, you know, those long linoleum floors. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I had sandals on or flip-flops or something, and they could hear it was a woman's footsteps. And so when I opened the door, there were these two big beaming faces, and they're like, hello, <laughs> you know, come on in. Welcome and to engineering. Yeah, <laughs> here's your package. What, what's going on? Yeah. And they, you know, they, anyways, they sit me down and they start working on me right away. You know, they start asking me, peppering me with questions. What I was studying. Did I like math and science? What did I want to be? And then they said, at one point, have you ever, ever considered a degree in engineering? And frankly, I hadn't because I didn't even know what engineers did, to tell you the truth. I mean, there weren't engineers in my family. I didn't, uh, one or two of my parents' friends were engineers. I had no idea what they did. Um, actually, my grandfather was an engineer, mm. but a train engineer on the Amtrak, like all the Irish, they worked on the railroads. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what he yeah. did. That, so in my mind, thinking, yeah, it's not, I know it's not driving trains anymore, but <laughs> I don't really know what it is. What the possibilities What are, are the possibilities? Yeah. And they started to detail what an engineering degree could offer. And no one had ever said those things to me. No one had ever sort of made it come to life. Mm -hmm. I, I just had no idea. And then at one point, one of them said, the world will be your oyster if you pursue this. And that just resonated with me. And so I said, okay, well, I better get back to work now. You know, it's been about 15 minutes with them. Went back to work and it just kind of weighed on me all night. I was thinking about it, thinking about it. And the next day I woke up and said, I'm going to change my major to engineering. And I went back that down quick. that long hallway. The next day, wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, turned in my application and um, really never saw those ladies again. But they had such a change, you know, it was <laughs> a totally changed the trajectory of my life yeah. by pursuing engineering. And uh, it, was, it was amazing just that, you know, those little brushes against people that sometimes do that, where they just send you off in a new direction. And that's what that did. How fascinating. Now, how was it jumping in and switching majors in that space? Did you did you find it welcoming? Was it really overwhelming at the time? Yeah, or? not super welcoming. I remember yeah. that. There weren't very many women at all. Mm -hmm. I was generally the only woman in every class I walked into. And I'm quiet anyway, and, and so I tended to be quiet in, in the classrooms. and. Um, it was a little tough. I had teachers tell me, maybe engineering isn't for you and almost convinced me of it. And, and I think, no, you know, I'm going to stick with it and just kind of kept plodding away. Um, I liked the challenge of it. I liked the problem solving of it. And so it, it interested me. And it just in comparison with some of my sort of the, um, the classes I had to take uh, just to get my degree, I can't think of the name of it, the ones like... Um, the, the required, the required the electives, yeah, 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 the required classes. 
I was so much more interested in my engineering classes than just you know those classes you have to take. Yeah. And I thought, there's something here, and I, I'm just going to stick with it. I don't know where it's going to take me, but I'm going to stick with it. And um, eventually ran into kind of a small pot of women that we used to, um, and one guy, we used to all uh, study together. And that is really what helped get me through. I mean, now they have more organized groups mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. and on college campuses. But back then, it was just by chance. We kind of ran into each other and um, started to study together. And it was sort of the, the, my go-to group. When, when any of us were struggling in a class or with a particular teacher or a topic, we knew we could always tap into that group. And um, they're yeah, great, yeah. yeah, great group of friends. So what did you, what was your first job out of college then? Where, where did you go? Well, it was actually during college, I had an internship at General Electric. Oh, okay. Yeah, in their military electronics division. And essentially it was coding um, anti-submarine warfare systems for surface ships. Wow. So these were the systems that would launch um, missiles uh, after detecting submarines. And so the missiles would actually go up and then underwater and at the submarine. Wow. It was kind of super fascinating because now this will date me, but it goes back to the um, time of when the book, The uh, Hunt for Red October mm, came mm -hmm, out, mm -hmm. and that was happening at the same time. And so, you know, it was like, Seems so relevant. Life come, yeah, you know, yeah. came to life in the book with my daily job. And it was super interesting. And um, I loved the job, frankly. And I worked down on the naval base in San Diego. And when you, when you hold a certain title, it's interesting, on the naval base, they actually give you a naval title. Oh, um, And I, I want to say it was Lieutenant something. This is terrible because I'm not terribly good at my naval terms. But I had a title that when you came on to the naval base, you could park in a certain area. Oh, you got yeah. access to certain cafeterias. And that was all really cool. <laughs> um, so that was part of it. But the, the main job, really, the main headquarters was back in Syracuse, New York. Mm. And so we traveled back there, back and forth a lot to Syracuse to run our code on these very purpose-built um, uh, machines that oh, went on surface ships. Okay. And um, that the only way you could really test your code, you could simulate it in, at the labs in San Diego, but you had to run it on the target machine. Yeah. And so that kept me going back and forth to Syracuse, which is very cold in the wintertime. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you've ever been there. I have but no. it's I, I think it's one of the cold, well, for me, coming from Los Angeles and San Diego, <laughs> it, it was definitely one of the coldest yeah. places I'd ever been in my life. Yeah. And it was either uh, snowing or about to snow almost every time I visited there. <laughs> so I knew eventually the job was going to um, be on the East Coast and likely in Syracuse. And I started down the path of, they kind of had a management training school at GE called mm -hmm. C-Course. And then I thought, you know, I just don't know. I don't know if I really want to live the rest of my life on the East Coast. I know like big career decision. Yeah, it had yeah. nothing to do with the job <laughs> itself. I was like, I don't think I want to live in the snow. The life balance of work life yeah. is, part, is important. Yeah, <laughs> I want to stay yeah. here in the sun. Yeah. So I ended up um, starting to look for a job. Okay. And it was actually my husband, who I just married at the time, um, just out of college, we got married. And he said, you should look at this company called Qualcomm, because he had had an internship at Linkabit, which was one of the companies that the owners of uh, Qualcomm had started, oh, okay. Linkabit. And it sort of fed into Qualcomm. And so it was back like it was like in the newspaper. It was a newspaper ad, and uh, not like today with uh, LinkedIn. And I thought, OK, I'm going to answer the ad. 
um, got an interview, hardest interview of my life. Oh, hands really? Hands down, yes. Really? What was so challenging? Just, it was, it was a solid day. I think it's probably a lot like interviews here for engineers, mm. but um, it was nothing like my GE interview uh, that I had gone through. And so it was, it, was a, it was like a solid day. Actually, it was three days, but every day you'd go in from about from eight to about six, and you, know, you had different people each time and oh, well, yeah. it was um, you had to have your thinking hat on every minute yeah. but <laughs> you remember, did it I did I remember one thing they asked was solve uh, x to the solve for x to the y equal y to the x there's actually multiple solutions to that and um, it was sort of you know just like any good interview question it was sort of how you came about coming up with those solutions and going through the whole process that they were testing and so uh, that was a particularly hard one but so how did you adapt then to life at Qualcomm? How was that? Was it, I'm guessing it wasn't on the East Coast. It wasn't, based in San Diego, <laughs> There you go. thankfully. Um, it was quite a bit different, because I would say it, it was more like, and it was a new company then, it only had a couple hundred people. Um, it was more like a startup you'd see today. Mm -hmm. You know, fast moving, everybody did whatever they needed to do to get the job done, people wore several hats, and I loved it. Uh, where I would say G was probably more bureaucratic, a little bit more defined. I had a job and they would say, this is your job. It's mm -hmm. very narrow. You can go very deep on it, but this is your job. <laughs> and at Qualcomm, I got to wear all these hats. You know, any, any, on any given day, you were uh, sometimes a systems engineer and sometimes you're in the lab coding. And, you know, it was, so I got to really experience a broad range of engineering um, uh, roles in a single job, which I loved. So, but then um, at some point I made the decision after a conversation with one of our managers to jump over to the business side. And that was really where I found my true passion, sort of that mix of technology and business. Very cool, and it's great that you had that engineering background to then partner with that business savvy. Yeah, because yeah. it's like the same sort of thing. You're solving for problems, so you gotta yeah. find a solution, whether it's a business problem or an engineering problem and uh, come up with a solution that, you know, is good for both sides, going back to the partnership principles. And I just loved it. I loved being in front of the customer. Now, one of the things I've gotten to um, hear you talk about that really impressed me with your kind of career background is the kind of change that you helped lead at Qualcomm. Um, when kind of earlier in your career, you, right, you kind of yeah. looked around so and, and looked around and said, I'm, I'm not sure if this is right for me. So can you share a little bit about that experience and where you were at and, yeah. and kind of what you led there? So certainly at that time, you know, the number of females in engineering at Qualcomm reflected what we were graduating, which was not very many. I want to say it was, I feel like it was under 10% in EE. I know it was higher in CompSci at the time, but in EE it was fairly low numbers. And so basically, um, rarely did I see another woman. You know, I was on a team, all men, rarely saw any, any women in engineering. Um, but the ones I did, I banded together with, sort of <laughs> just same, same uh, yeah. way that I yeah. did in, in college. Yeah. But I remember going through the um, review process. We had two reviews a year, two review cycles a year. And I, it was like the same theme all the time. Um, we love your work, but you need to speak up more. We want to hear from you more in, the, in meetings. And you just have to get more aggressive. You just have to get in there and fight it out. And um, that's how you're going to be successful here. And I remember after about the third time that happened, I thought, I came home and I said to my husband, I just don't think um, that engineering is a career that I can be successful in because mm -hmm. here's the things I'm not doing that apparently I have to do to be successful yeah. here. Yeah. 
And so that I had a very narrow, specific yeah, definition of what it was like. A certain is, set yeah. of attributes that I didn't have, even, and I tried to put them into place, and it not not very successfully. You know, I tried to be more assertive and aggressive, and whenever I did, I sort of surprised people, and they thought I was mad. And I'm like, I'm just <laughs> doing what you told yeah. me to do, and yeah. you know, very awkwardly doing it. So finally, I just said, I you know, I think I'm going to have to leave, and had a conversation with my manager at the time. And he said, don't leave. We need to figure this out. And I have to say, you know, that was years and years ago, early in my career at Qualcomm, of which I was out for 25 years. So you can do the math. It was a long time ago before all of the, you know, the current talk of STEM and how to retain women. And this manager recognized that we had an imperfect system of ratings at the company. And and you know, with my input and his work, we went to HR and we said, we've just got to change this system. And we've got to broaden the attributes that are part of what you think is a successful leader and a successful employee in the engineering department uh, than this set here, which was, I mean, literally it said, you know, assertive, being yeah. assertive in meetings. These were the sorts of things that they said were, were absolute musts. And so we did that and everything got better after that. You know, it was sort of like a sigh of relief. I knew how I would be rated going forward. I knew, I knew frankly, at, by that time, what I felt I was good at and where I could really shine and add value to the company and said, thankfully now, I just get to concentrate on those things. I don't have to be something I'm not. And I stopped spending all those cycles on trying to be something that I wasn't. I think that's so amazing because not only did you carve out a path for success for yourself, but for so many other individuals, not just women even, right? But people just with those different personalities exactly. to kind of bring their voices to the table. Like there, and there's quiet men. Yeah, and, you know, exactly. There's people who are shy and exactly. introverted. And, and, and okay. people of different nationalities exactly. show up differently, and right? So, so how do you think, like when you look at that 25 years at Qualcomm then, like how do you think, obviously you would have walked out the door if that I shift would've. didn't happen, yeah. but when you think about just looking at your career but also the shift in the company like like how do I mean that must just feel so proud for you to, to think about that that you helped lead that dynamic and partner with your manager at the time on yeah that. and I you know I go back to that group of women I because I, I don't want to take credit for that it was really having having a group of people who were sort of in the same boat and and said you know how do I navigate this and having sort of a safe place to ask that question how do I navigate yeah. this? You know, how do I navigate that engineering leader that that is, um, you know, super short and 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 doesn't give me the time to to express my opinion? How do I do that? And th these women at Qualcomm, in fact, we used to get together in a group called the Sweet Fest, <laughs> only because all we did was eat a bunch of cake and cookies and candy and things like that. <laughs> but that's what we did, and. Uh, we would over cake and cookies and candy, we would discuss these things. And it was a help, I think, to all of us. Yeah. And then they then touched others. And as they came into this circle, it totally informal, it was you know, completely not run by HR or anything. It was just a group of women who got together on a super regular basis. So I'd say almost every, about every other month we would get together cool. for Sweet Fest. And that was our um, support system, I guess. And uh, it's still going on today. In fact, I'm headed down to San Diego and they said, can you do Sweet Fest? <laughs> <laughs> so That's fantastic you created that. Now, now fast forward, you were actually named last year as Business Insider's Most Powerful Female Engineer of the Year. 
Um, congratulations, so amazing to see that. Like, what are some of those other shifts that you've seen in the industry, you know, over the Yeah, well, first of all, I'm completely humbled by that because I look at that list and say, wow, I have no idea how I got on this list <laughs> because like, our own Lily Chang was on that list. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an amazing list of women across the industry. Um, you know, I think the shift has been that we're shining a light on things instead of just saying, you know, the advice that I used to be given early in my career was just be more like you, them, yeah, you know, you need just to change. Yeah. 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 Go, go, you change. It's your problem. You go change. And now we're saying, wait a second, let's, how can we be more inclusive? And that, that is what resonated so much with me actually when I first came to the company because there, there was that discussion that was going on. And while we're not perfect and I know we're not where we need to be, we're getting there, mm -hmm. right? We're shining a light on all those dark corners saying, what, you know, how can I make you the best that you can be at the company? Rather than saying, Katie, you need to change all these things. Yeah. And um, that's, that's where our focus should be. It's so, you spend so many cycles trying to change and then maybe you're not even successful at that change. Why, why not say, you know what Katie does well, let's shine a light on that. Yeah, yeah and I love that because I see you do that within your team. You know, I felt being within your group, like I saw that happen many times where you would where you would help lift up others within the team and not in areas where you even needed to do it, where we wouldn't have even known had you hadn't taken that opportunity. But that was one of those things that gave me such respect for you as a leader is those moments where you went out and lifted us up and we never would have known had you not, right? And and that's what really gave me so much respect for you as a leader is that I con you do really constantly do that across Well, thank the you. Team. But I also think it gives you confidence to be yourself. Does, yeah. And that's yeah. important because yeah. when you're yourself, you're going to do your best work. Yeah. That, that was what I really, I found. And I think there really has been such a sea change within Microsoft within the last few years. You know, I, Absolutely. I, you know, I've even been here a long time, time too. Yeah. Oh yeah, within even Satya's and the yes. growth mindset focus, I think it's Big been changes. huge. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, you know, I feel like there's momentum behind it now that, you know, like as soon as people bring these ideas to light, everyone starts to shake their heads and be like, okay, this is this yeah. is something, yeah, we need to go investigate this, right? And so things instantly pick up more energy. Yeah, um, I've seen changes just in my little world of BD across the teams. You know, we, we were, when, as we talked about being diverse and inclusive, sometimes those can be words until you actually put them into action and see the value. Mm -hmm. Like, why do we want to be diverse and inclusive? Mm -hmm. What is the value? And I feel like over the last couple of years, We've crossed a big bridge there where everybody gets it now. They go, I know why, because you know what? Diversity brings this diversity of thought. You get these opinions that come in that you would have never thought of. If you're all, you know, I always say a team of all Peggy Johnsons will make a product that Peggy Johnson will love, yep, yep. but maybe nobody <laughs> else will. And yep. so if we can have more opinions and thoughts on things and have good healthy debates and have environments where those debates are allowed and permit permissible and mm -hmm. you feel comfortable you're going to build a better product yeah. and when you build a better product you sell more of them so yeah. it's you know, it's not only the, a good thing to be diverse and inclusive, but there's good business reasons for exactly. it as well. Yeah, there, and even Harvard Business Review recently has been doing several articles about the statistical analysis behind teams that are more diverse and inclusive and exactly. how they're actually performing better. So I love seeing that data come to show those results. Yeah. So one of the things I love about what you're doing as well is the work around like Computer Education Week that just yeah. happened last week. Right, that was a lot of fun. Um, and so what what are you doing within that space and what are you so, doing? So um, Hadi Partovi, who runs Code.org, who I met early on when I was here, um, asked me to help him kick off uh, the start of Computer Education Week. 
And it was so much fun because he also had um, Susan Wojcicki from YouTube yep. and Cheryl Sandberg from Facebook. And then Melinda was going to make it, but ended up having a conflict, but she had a great video. I mean, it was fantastic, so authentic. Yeah. And, but the common uh, denominator there was all women <laughs> on stage to kick yeah, it off. Yeah, how fantastic. And yeah. Hottie was so funny. He got on stage, I mean, so he started the whole thing. He's just kudos to him for everything he's done for introducing coding into schools. But he was on stage for a nanosecond and said, <laughs> look, I'm gonna hand it over to my MC, who is a woman. And off it went, and it was a fun day of um, just, again, highlighting the value of bringing coding opportunities to every child at every school cool. across the globe. Yeah. And we, we, the Democratizing numbers, that. Democratizing act, so. it, yeah. yeah. The numbers were stunning. Yeah. There was a lot of teachers in attendance. They were talking about, um, you know, how they've had this big sea change in their ability to get computer science teachers on campus to um, to have to bring coding access to more and more kids and younger and younger kids, yeah. and you know, because whatever you go into, it's good to know how there, to code. There's going right? to be an whether aspect of it, yeah, or yeah. Whatever. And it's just that logic skill set. So I exactly. think it's so important. And we'll make sure solved. to put links below um, for anyone that's interested in that. So I want to. We've gotten to hear so much about your journey. I want to end with you just a message. Like if you can talk to younger women out there who are early in career, what, what would you kind of message to them? I would say be your authentic self, because it took me several years before I learned that. <laughs> but once I did, that was really when my career took off. And just own who you are. And if you're talkative and assertive, that's okay too. <laughs> it's just own who you are, because that is uh, where you're gonna you know, have the most to offer in that space that you're most comfortable with. Fantastic, you can't get better than that. So, well, thank you so much for joining Thanks us for today. Thanks for having me, And um, I hope you all enjoyed the video. Thanks. Thank you.